0: FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts.
1: Frank Cusimano is going to join us a little bit later this hour because he does so on Fridays and Mondays. I was able to on the airplane. You know, I was coming back from Vegas Friday afternoon. Mizzou played 1.30, I think, central time against Arkansas in Columbia. got to watch the whole game on uh, CBS on the airplane which was great because the Tigers won. They are bowl oh, bound. Hey. Yeah, they're bullbound. bound but here's here's the deal, Sue. You know, we talked about this. I don't think a lot of people have the, the handle on the um, name, image, and likeness NIL. You know, these players are getting paid now so you have this thing oh, called the right. transfer portal. You've already had one big name from Mizzou, Dominic Lovett, say that he's leaving. Um, going to enter the transfer portal so then the question becomes about our friend Luther Burden Jr. from East St. Louis and he tweeted out today that he ain't going anywhere, which is good because a lot of people wondered his mom and dad had weighed in last night. Let me see here. I think I have the actual well, tweet Well, Frank from Cusimano Luther. tweeted that out
2: over the weekend, that he talked to his father and his father said he's
1: not going anywhere. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the first. Um, and, you know, Frank was on top of all this recruiting from from the get-go. Uh, here's what Luther tweeted out himself. He goes, I'm not playing with a chip on my shoulder. Chip is in all caps. That's because he's got the old Vienna red hot ripplets. <laughs> so he's trying, <laughs> he's trying to make a little money here as well. Good
3: for him. He said,
1: I'm not playing with a chip on my shoulder in this bowl game. Let's go to work. I'm not going anywhere. Tiger for Life, M I Z, go to Schnooks and grab a bag of LB3 chips so you can snack like you have a chip on your shoulder I love during it. the big game, too. Love it. Hashtag Mizzou for Life football, Tiger Luther. That is awesome. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there, there's a part of me that kind of wants to head back to Vegas in a couple weeks because that's where I think. They're going to play. Oh it seems God. like the Vegas Bowl Wait. is the destination on the 17th oh, okay. of December. Well, how are you not going to that? Of I'm course you'll to go. go to no, that. No, no, no. I'm not going to go. Okay. I don't have the time. There's too you many will. things going on. Hey, Sue, there is a um, class action lawsuit about Velveeta shells and cheese. I saw this. the ready time is misleading. So this is just so dumb. People are – what is the matter with people? Well, you know, I, I think you can say what's the matter with people – but we who, know that. but are what's the, the matter?
2: Well, Yeah, that are taking these cases? Yes,
1: that's, that's, who is even presenting that yeah. as a real problem? That That's kind of my point, because this is about a Florida woman who has filed a class action lawsuit against Kraft Heinz Food Company, alleging its Velveeta cheese and, oh, I'm sorry, shells and cheese take longer than advertised to prepare. Amanda Ramirez of Hialeah, Florida, is listed as the plaintiff. It's a $5 million suit filed on November 18th in the U.S. District Court in Southern Florida. The suit alleged is that Velveeta cheese um, is ready in three and a half minutes, but that that's false and misleading. In addition to the $5 in damages, the plaintiffs are also seeking statutory and or punitive damages. So here's what they say, okay? The box for the shells lists four simple steps. Okay, one. Removing the lid, the cheese sauce pouch, adding the water, microwaving, and stirring. Okay. The step of microwaving is three and a half minutes. (laughs) Okay. So the pseudoledge.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: It, a- is she trying to add the yeah.
2: time it takes you yeah. to
1: undo the yeah. cheese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put
2: it into the. That is the stupidest
1: yeah. thing I've ever heard. Of course it heard. is. The suit alleges that the time listed could be interpreted as the total amount of time to make it, including the mixing of the water and the cheese sauce. Consumers seeing ready in three and a half minutes will believe it represents the total amount of time it takes to prepare the product, meaning I can't even, oh. from the moment it is unopened to the moment it is ready for consumption, the suit reads. Three and a half minutes is just the length of time to complete one of several steps. The correct or assumed time to make the product is not Okay, listed. I can't even hear that.
2: Now, question. Yeah. Does this woman just want attention?
1: I, uh, d- does she actually think she's going to get money? What really is the purpose here? Well, that's a good question. She probably wants money. But the suit also alleges that the Velveeta cheese product is sold for the premium price of $10.99 for eight cups and is a result of false and misleading representations. Ramirez is described as someone who seeks to stretch their money as far as possible oh. when buying groceries and, quote, looks to bold statements of value when quickly selecting groceries. Ramirez said that they would not have bought the product or paid less if the total time was really listed. So, I thought
2: it was about the
1: amounts. Now it's about time about again, time. and none of it makes yeah, it's sense. about time. But see, this is where a judge should just come in and say it. Thank you. Thank you. But here's the sad part. You know, Don't what, do you even want to, say it. what do you want to bet there's some sort of stupid settlement in this? I can't. I know. But I can't. Why would the lawyers take it on if they didn't think- You're right. You know, Kraft's I mean, gonna, you're right. Kraft's going to probably say, okay, <laughs> right. We'll write you a check for $500,000 or
4: whatever.
2: Well, well then think? I'm
1: going to sue if that's the
4: case.
2: Yeah, no wonder people keep doing it.
1: Exactly.
4: These allegations uh. are deeply concerning. Does the president have
2: any
0: comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's News. Sue's news. Brought to you by Sue.
2: Boy, I ate that Valvita stuff in college. It was good. Just saying. 127 years ago today in 1895. Oh, I thought of Kenny Wallace when I read this. The first automobile race was held. That's in 1895. Now, it took place over 52 miles of snowy roads from Chicago to Waukegan, Illinois.
1: Oh, my god! The gosh. place of my birth, by the way. That's why I'm Waukegan, bringing it Waukegan, Illinois, the place of my birth.
2: Now, because of the weather... Only six of the 89 racers who signed up were actually able to compete, and the winner was a guy named James Franklin Doria, who actually won two grand, but listen to how long it took. His average speed was seven miles per hour, (laughs) and... It took him 10 hours to finish the race.
1: Seven miles per I hope he was wearing a helmet. Right. Oh, my goodness, yes.
2: Certainly, I hope But so. you know what? 2000, what did you say was 18 what? It was 1895 that was the first automobile. Why in the world someone said, let's do it in Chicago? You know, it's snowy. Let's do it now. And only uh, a, a few of us can actually compete for the two grand. Man, two grand. In those hey, that's dollars, seventy thousand nine hundred fifty-five dollars. So that's that's pretty good for back Dang. then. And seventy-five. Well, actually, it's seventy-four. I can't read my own typing. Seventy-four years ago today, in nineteen forty-eight, the very first Polaroid camera went on sale. Now. This was a Thomas family. All we had for, uh, I'm telling you, the late 70s into the 80s are Polaroid oh, photos. Of course. Yeah, everybody
1: did. And they are not period. that great anymore. No. Well, but we were fascinated they're by them. They were bad those. back then. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah, they were not but, good. But you got to shake it like yeah. the Polaroid picture and yeah. yeah. wait and see how bad it was and see it develop right before your eyes now this sort of Abby you can kind of weigh in on this this has somewhat made like a lot of things you know do turntables have come back into fashion thankfully but this has come back a little bit with, with younger it people I think. Yes.
2: there's those little Instamax cameras I have one and they take just a tiny little Polaroid and they're so cute
1: that's kind of good what do you do with them do you put
2: um, them in a you put them in the I drawer have, that's what we always do I have do. one of my cat that's in my phone case okay look how cute though. so they. I just Carry my cat around with me all the okay, time. Okay, that's kind of cute. Uh, by the way, the guy who invented these was Edwin H. Land, and the first of these cameras in 1948 sold for 89.95. So it was an elite thing to have back in the day. And this has music. 48 years ago today, in 1974, Elton John convinced John Lennon. To perform on stage for the first time in years. Oh, wait, this is a live performance. Yep. And where was this? This was okay. I don't think I have that. Here's how what I know happened. <laughs>
1: This, is, this sounds like the version that I heard on the radio.
2: That's yeah. why I
3: was
1: confused. Is it I think the they recorded record? it. Okay. Uh huh. John promised Elton that he'd
2: appear if their duet, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, hit number one. And it did. So Elton uh, made him come out on stage and uh, perform this with him. And it turned out that this was John Lennon's last concert appearance. Really? Wow. Yeah.
1: Man. Isn't that crazy? 48 years ago today. I'm still, I'm, I'm, you know, coming off of, this has been quite the Beatles year for me because, and I've described this before, in the 70s, I was more of a Zeppelin, Stones kid. I, I came up with deep appreciation for the Beatles much later in life. Me too, have, have actually. A lot of, have a lot of, mm-hmm. um, you know, love the Beatles now, right? But between watching Get Back on Disney+, Plus and seeing the Beatles love which was so creative the other night. I feel like this has been a big Beatles year. Good. It has been, yeah. It's a really great thing to get into, actually. On the Elton John front, I finally went back and watched some more of the concert. You know, the LA Dodger Stadium concert, his final U.S. appearance, U.S. and Canadian appearance. Where I guess is that? Fam- Where did you see it's it? It's on Disney+. Plus, so okay. they aired it live, and I watched some of it live. And I will tell you this, that when I was watching it live, the first part of the show, Elton's voice was sounding rather rough. And I, I thought, but then I had heard that he did, um, Kiki D came out, Okay, And also Dua Lipa, Don't because go, he did that song. Yeah, so he did Don't Go Break My Heart with Kiki D, who looked fantastic, by the way. Oh, good. And then Dua Lipa came out to do the song that they did together, and the end of the concert was much better. Now, I will say this. Did can, he warm up, or, can, or is it just
2: that he was wedding well, and it if sounded it, better? I was you know? if because he
1: warmed up. I think it's because he warmed up, but I will also say this. There, maybe there's something to this, psychologically. My friend, you can ask him. Rick's going to... Chime in at 507 because we have a little bit of a Vegas controversy that we need to run down. Yes. I'm gonna look like the bad guy, I promise you that, but I'm gonna fight. But he and my kids do this too, Sue. I don't know if you ever had this at your house. Abby's admitted that she's done it. He's got the closed captioning on all the time. I right? can't do it. I hate it. Drives hate me crazy. It. But I'm watching this is where I watched the rest of Elton's concert on Thanksgiving Day. We kind of threw some of it on. And he had the um And the closed captioning, I'm like, hey, I wonder if I can understand Elton better in these songs in the latter half of the show because of the closed captioning and I'm reading the words. Or is it because he's warmed up and he sounds better? Mm -hmm. Might have been a combination of the two. I I bet it
2: is. I bet
1: it is. And there's a crazy story
2: over the weekend. Um, They're kind of calling it. I've heard it called the Thanksgiving miracle. Okay, tell me if you've heard this. There's a 28 year old guy who's on a cruise ship with his sister. They're taking a Thanksgiving cruise, blah, blah, blah. He's 28, and she's, I don't know. They don't say in here. She's probably in her 20s, too. They go into the bar at, like, 11 o'clock for a drink. This is p.m., and he goes off. He says, listen, I've got to go to the bathroom, and does not come back. And she thinks, well, I don't know. Is he in the room? Is he on the ship? It's a big cruise ship. We're brother and sister, so I'm... She looks for him, but doesn't think much. Maybe he, you know, ran off with some, found some chick. She doesn't know. Well, the next day, she reports him missing. She does that at noon on Thursday, on Thanksgiving. And they figure he fell off this cruise ship. Turns out he did. And as soon as she says, "Okay, I haven't seen him since noon on Thursday, they lock down the ship. They try to find him. They can't find him. They have to call the Coast Guard. They do this huge search and rescue mission and they backtrack. They turn the actual cruise ship around. I know you're going trying to read this story. Will you just stay with me? They turn it around, backtrack over where the actual cruise ship came. The uh, Coast Guard is out there and they found him. He had been treading water for 15 hours. Nope. 15 hours. He had a little bit of hypothermia. They say the water was at about 70 degrees, but he's okay. They said one official said it's the longest they've seen someone survive under these conditions. And they said, you know, one of the things they learned... Was uh, the will to live is stronger than you realize. And this guy was, obviously he's 28. He was in decent enough shape, but 15 hours. So he's okay. He's in stable condition. Quick quick question. Yes. How did he fall off the ship? Yeah, no one has said that yet. (laughs) Because, come on, you just don't fall off a cruise ship. Of course not. But they're trying to take care of him. And they won't, I guess they're not asking him yet. That is the obvious question. And I could not find the answer. There was or there was not alcohol involved. Uh, well, he was at the bar. Yeah. I don't know how long he had been there. So I don't know to what extent.
1: That that has to be one of the most horrifying scenarios that I can think of. Because yes. I think of Leo and the crew kind of floating around in Titanic and uh-huh. you're in the middle uh-huh. of the ocean. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's frightening enough just being on like a, a little boat in the ocean where right? you can't see the shore.
2: There's an episode of Magnum P.I. back when in the day when Tom Selleck did it when he had to tread water for an extended period of time. And that stuck with me all these years you you would think you'd be holy
1: cow i would think i mean i don't know but you you would think you'd float on your back for as long as you can and then tread water you could yes. tread water yes well no not you have stop, to go right? back and forth right. and, and i also feel bad for
2: his sister who, you know, did not say anything until noon the next day, but I'm sure she's thinking, well, he's around here somewhere. Maybe or, he found a chick.
1: Or you know, who knows? She pushed
2: him. Uh, <laughs> I guess. But why? Ninety seven
1: Oh, that's like, something yeah. I wanted to do. Dun dun yeah. dun. That's what I was trying to do, but I it didn't hit the dun dun dun, dun. Dun really has the same effect. I don't know why that didn't do it. That's the dun dun dun. What happened Let's Try here? it again. Ninety seven one. Our well, vague. you're today. gonna have to you're gonna have to somebody <laughs> somebody took my dun 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 away. So, we're going
2: to find out more about this story as it comes out, but I did want to at least throw it out there today. You mean
1: we're going to find out more about who took Why? my dunk, dunk, dunk right? Oh, no. <laughs> Why
2: this guy fell? How in the world did he find out? It, it, fall off the ship? Who
1: could fall off a ship?
2: Was he just stumbling around? I don't know. Uh, the whole thing's crazy. More to come. And finally, in Sue's news, we have today's random fact. The original name for Eggo Waffles was Froffles. <laughs> As in frozen waffles, <laughs> but people called them egos because they tasted a little like eggs. Oh, which I never really thought about. Did yeah, I never thought of that either? And then two years later, that just became their official
1: name. They were froffles. Well, they Originally. made the right choice, I think. You could say in <laughs> yeah. uh, in retrospect. By the way, going back to the beginning of the hour on the the lawsuit over the Velveeta cheese, my friend Don Brown informs me this, this makes sense. That the guy. One of the guys on the legal team for that woman, Spencer Sheehan, is a New York attorney who has filed hundreds of lawsuits. In fact, NPR has reported that Sheehan files at a rate of about three lawsuits per week. What? And he's almost single-handedly caused a historic spike in the number of class action lawsuits just because of what he does. So oh there you go. Oh, my gosh. It's frivolous lawsuit. He's the king of frivolous lawsuits, Mr. Sheehan. There you go. Um, Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. Coming up next, Mr. Cusimano is going to drop in for our Monday visit in about 15 minutes here on 97.1 FM Talk. Also, in the next hour, uh, it was a little controversy in Las Vegas when I was there with my wife and my friends at uh, the game table on Thanksgiving evening. I've been accused of uh, certain things that I will fight back on. I have a deposition that was taken by... By one of the um, the players, this involved Uno, the game Uno. I take it very seriously, and um, I, I I believe there was. I'm going to make an allegation of cheating after the top of the hour. We'll get into this. It's, I think I think you'll enjoy that conversation. We also have Neil Gelman with the Gelman team, the housing market, out of state companies buying St. Louis area homes. What is that all going to mean, Neil? Give us an update. I think a lot of people are concerned about real estate prices, considering where rates have gone. So all that plus an audio cut of the day in the next hour here on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk. Michael Goodwin is back with me this afternoon, columnist from the New York Post. He wrote a piece on Merrick Garland that caught my attention. But, Michael, I don't think we've spoken since the midterms. How are you this afternoon?
3: Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm fine. Uh, probably a little bit better than the uh, than either of the parties, which, despite the idea that the Democrats won by holding the Senate, um, I think the loss of the House is going to be a painful experience for them. What was
1: your, you know, we spoke, I think, maybe right before the midterms. I, I was certainly in the camp that was very optimistic, uh, Was bit, bit disappointed on election night, still a little confused about what happened. All elections are, you know, local. We know that. We took care of business here in Missouri with our attorney general becoming the next United States senator from Missouri. But obviously, I think a lot of us held out hope that some of these races would be um either closer or turned in the other direction, Pennsylvania in particular. So what do you think happened?
3: Well, look, I I, I think that uh, the polls, you know, the first, I mean, the first element is is to decide, you know, were the polls so wrong that everybody, you know, that that there was this sense of disappointment among uh, those looking for a Republican sweep? You know, most of these races were very close. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were within the margin of error. And, uh, you know, you have elections happening on Tuesday, uh, very hard-fought elections. You can sometimes get a late movement uh, over the weekend, over the last weekend, that the polls just can't pick up. Uh, there's no there's no real polling that takes place in those last couple of days yeah, because it's too late. There's, no, there's no real point to it right. you can't if you're a candidate you can't address anything really so you know you can you can get a movement of three or four points in a in a few days and i suspect that uh, the polls you know were close enough that you can say well they were sort of within the margin of error so i don't think the polling was a big problem
1: What do you think then this means for the because we always have to jump right to the next thing, right? This is what we do in the media. But what does it mean (laughs) for for 2024? Because obviously now you have wrangling and maybe even some people on the left that are more optimistic about Biden just because they saw what happened a few weeks ago. I mean, I have no idea who the presidential candidates are going to be, but this is going to be interesting moving forward.
3: It certainly is. And, you know, Biden has tried to seize on this uh, as a victory. You can see in the White House now a kind of new confidence that they held off what, you know, the, the tsunami that everyone was predicting earlier um, in the season. But uh, I think that the House investigations on Hunter Biden, which are really House investigations of Joe Biden, um uh, are going to produce some shocking evidence if the chairman uh, keep their end of the bargain and say they're going to actually do what they say they're going to do, which is connect the dots. Now, so much of this is in the public domain already, but presumably the whistleblowers who have come forth uh, will fill out some of the gaps in in this story that Joe Biden, as vice president, was participating in his son's foreign businesses that this this idea of I mean everyone recognizes Hunter Biden was selling influence selling his last name the question is was Joe Biden getting a cut of that and what did Joe Biden do if anything that would have helped that business those to me are the two big legs that are ripe for uh, an investigation and I think that we can we can know that, for example, that we have seen the emails on the laptop where money was moving between accounts, where Hunter Biden was paying for the household expenses of Joe Biden, uh, where uh, they have one uh, accountant who talks about Joe Biden's tax refund going into Hunter's account because. Uh, Joe owed him that amount of money or something. Well, and then, of course, we have Hunter Biden say that my father makes me give him half my salary for the last 30 years. These are these are things that need to be explained. And I think that is what uh, Jim Comer, Republican from Kentucky on the Oversight Committee and Jim Jordan uh, on the. uh, judiciary say they are going to investigate. So, this this narrow majority the Republicans hold could turn out to be historically significant if these chairmen do what they say they're going to do, and if they have the goods they say they have. But
1: you know, and I think obviously, I'm going to say this facetiously that we we don't need to investigate those things, Michael, because the mainstream media has decided that whatever is going on with Uncle Joe. And his son are far less dangerous to the orange man coming back into the picture. Right. We don't, we don't want to focus on anything involving Joe Biden. It's stunning to me. Maybe it shouldn't be at this point that all these things that were fake news that couldn't be confirmed. All of a sudden now CBS finally comes out and says, hey, maybe that laptop was real. They, they don't even realize how embarrassing it is for them in the manner that they're reporting this, given the nature in the history of all this.
3: Well uh they don't embarrass easily do no, right? I guess not <laughs> if at all uh, and look i i I think there is as as you predict, I believe that's what we will see that there will be you know an attempt to knock down these stories rather than cover them it will it will not be. Just the reverse of January 6th, where every day even things we knew was bannered across the newspapers, led the television newscast, uh, so that every day there was a barrage of information designed to show Republicans bad. When you think of how how well the Republicans did in taking even one house uh, under, under that kind of barrage, it's rather remarkable. But yet- uh, That's what the media has become. It's become a front for the Democratic Party. Um, You know, Merrick Garland, the uh, attorney general, has become a partisan attorney general who is, I believe, protecting Joe Biden by not investigating Hunter Biden. He has made it imperative that the Republicans do what he will not, which is get to the bottom of this. I mean, it's stunning when you think about the Hunter Biden case has now been going on since 2019. The FBI has had that laptop since 2019, and they have not filed a single charge against anyone uh, related to that. How is it possible for four years they've been doing this case and don't have any results? It's quite striking, and it can only be an intentional design to make this case go away, to keep it away from Joe Biden. I think that is the ultimate aim here. Make sure that Joe Biden is not hurt by the Hunter Biden investigation. Therefore, you can't really investigate Hunter Biden because the roads clearly lead to Joe. So uh, this is what the attorney general has done. This is what the media likes. Uh, You know, the media did some stories on Hunter Biden, but hasn't followed up. I mean, have you seen a leak the way you saw with no. all the Trump things. No. So it is clearly a one-sided uh, uh, media complex with with the Democratic Party. But it is going to, I hope, that this, the taking of the House, that the Republicans will follow through and do these investigations so that we can know, is Joe Biden compromised?
1: Yeah, I think it's is important. He,
3: That's the that's the key question is. I mean, you look at what's going on in China. Look at what's going on in Iran. Right. Why is Joe Biden not speaking out more? Why? Why is he has said nothing really about China or Iran? I mean, why? Why is our president? These people are being slaughtered and tortured. Uh, You know, to pursue basic human rights—not even basic human rights, just the right to leave their apartment, for goodness' Um, sakes—and our president says nothing. Yeah, well, maybe
1: he's just a little confused, Michael. That might be one aspect. But look, on the Garland issue, it it always is striking to me that this guy could have been a Supreme Court justice when he comes off like a a, he, he comes off, in my opinion, more feeble than Joe Biden. And I think maybe even the media gives him a little bit of a pass because he comes off as the feeble old man and they never really go after him because it's stunning to me that this guy is attorney general. He doesn't seem to have the capacity to do it, let alone the capacity to potentially have been a Supreme Court justice.
3: Well, uh, I I think the two events, frankly, are probably linked, and that is that uh, he never got that seat on the Supreme Court that he thought he was going to get after Barack Obama nominated him uh, toward the end of Obama's term, and uh, Mitch McConnell, then with the Senate majority, uh, refused to hold hearings, refused to consider the nomination, saying that it was you know, the last year of a presidential term and that he would not confirm a Supreme Court justice until after the general election for a new president, uh, which is what he did. It was a very bold move. Uh, Republicans, of course, kicked and screamed. And I think they've never quite gotten over it. And so here you have Merrick Garland rewarded in some sense with a consolation prize by Joe Biden. And he looks like he is every bit the partisan. Uh, no doubt he's bitter, and that's why I've taken to calling him a bitter partisan hack. Well, it does seem that way, I right. believe he is trying to even the score against Republicans.
1: You know, it would be nice if um, just one person did an interview with Merrick Garland that asked tough questions, like along the lines of when, you know, Bill Barr was attorney general. It's always great to have you on, Michael Goodwin. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving.
3: My pleasure, we'll Mark. Talk
1: Thank to you. you. Thank you. Is coming up next. All right, Frank Cusamano's here on a Monday afternoon. A lot of sports to talk about. How are you? Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving.
4: Yes, I did, Mark. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, sir.
1: I am doing well. I noticed that there was a tweet out because those of us and I, I was able to watch the game. I was on an airplane Friday, but I got to see the entire Mizzou game except for part of the first quarter. It was exciting. They get the win. They're going to a ball. But then you got Dominic Lovett entering the transfer portal, wide receiver. The question then about Luther Burden. But he sent a tweet out today, Frank, didn't he?
4: Yes. And um, I-, I talked to the father also um, yesterday. He has no intention of going anywhere. He's happy at Mizzou. And uh, he kind of did it as a, it was like a two-parter on the tweet. He has a chip on his shoulder promoting (laughs) his potato chip. Right. And uh, he's going to stay at Mizzou. And he really is looking forward to the bowl game. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder for that big bowl game coming up.
1: So what's up with Lovett? Do we know?
4: Well, here's the thing. It is just because you go into the portal, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to leave as we have seen with Yori Collins of St. Louis University. Now, probably, I don't have the stat, probably 80% of the time if you're in the portal, you're leaving. Sure, uh, And you know what? This is, this is the power that players have. And I know some people are upset about it because he, he's third in the SEC in reception, receptions. He's third in yards. He's had a really good season. He's going to be the man again next year. But who knows? I mean, if you can't fault a kid if he's trying to make more NIL money somewhere else. No one knows for sure he hasn't hasn't made a comment, but this is the power you have now with the NCAA transfer force. Yeah, it's nuts. And I remember
1: having, you know, Coach Drink gave me quite the education in NIL over the summer when when we talked about all this. And basically the one thing that stuck out is he said, right now it's the wild, wild west. The players are going to do what they have to do. The coaches have to kind of scramble and do what they have to do. He did feel that in the end some of this would settle down. But in the meantime, it's kind of crazy. I don't know how you even, as a coach, get a handle on it. I really don't.
4: Yeah, it, it hasn't settled down. There were 4,000 players in the football transfer portal last year, and I would anticipate as many before it's all said and done this year. Bottom line is, Mizzou is going to have to figure out a way if they want to you know, keep their great players and get great players to make their NIL program more extensive and even better. I mean, Luther Burden's got a great one. But more people than Luther are going to have to be taken right.
1: care of. Well, and let me let me be clear. And When Coach Strink was talking about that, I think he felt like the NCAA was going to have to rein some of this in. But obviously, yeah. I don't know how. The ability to do so is based on the law and the courts and everything as well.
4: Yeah, I think once the cat's out of the bag, it's the wild, wild west. And I don't know what they can do to stop it, actually, the NCAA.
1: But how about the victory by Mizzou?
4: Really was huge. I mean, Arkansas has won some big games this year, and they're a good team. And I'm going to tell you, the most scrutinized and most maligned athlete in our region is quarterback Brady Cook, who amassed nearly 400 total yards. He's been the best player on the team the last three weeks. Maybe it's a case of, hey, early on, this is his first year of playing football in the SEC, first year of playing college football. It took a while, and maybe he is going to be a really fine quarterback. I really like what I've seen
1: the last three games. You you have to allow for experience because it certainly matters. And I was off the Brady Cook train a few weeks ago because I just didn't think it was working. But you're absolutely right. In that game in particular, he looked like an SEC leader and a quarterback who can run that team into the future.
4: Yeah, especially with his legs. I mean, he's over 100 rushing yards in two of his last three games, Mark. What happened? You mentioned, let's go uh, over some other
1: things here. Let's go over college basketball. Mizzou keeps beating the cupcakes. They have Wichita State tomorrow. That could be tough. What happened to Slew over the weekend?
4: Well, it's a shame because they were up by five points with less than four minutes to play at undefeated Auburn in front of a near packed house. And then what Auburn did is they fouled Slew. Slew went to the free throw line, and they were one for 11 or one for 10 in the second half. And keep in mind, they were shooting 80% as a team going into that game. They were the seventh-best free-throw shooting team in the country, and they just they couldn't make free throws. Unmolested, 15-footers, nobody guarding you, and that's the story of the ballgame.
1: You know, on the college basketball front, I was watching the NFL yesterday, but I had the TV in my bedroom on, I guess, the ESPN because I you know was watching earlier in the day. So I walk in because I was putting some laundry away yesterday, and I happened to basically time it out into the second overtime between North Carolina and Alabama ended up going into four overtimes. It really? Yes. Four overtimes and Alabama picked off number one, North Carolina. That was a hell of a Holy game cow. back and forth. I mean, those kids were just exhausted at the end. I don't know if you saw any of that, Frank.
4: Yeah, I did. In fact, that gives you an idea. And we kind of poke fun at Missouri's non-conference schedule. I think it was the exact thing they had to do with a completely new team, go seven and zero, because they're about to enter this, Hellacious SEC. I mean, North Carolina played a national championship game, and they brought back everybody but one. And Alabama beat them. And then there's Arkansas. And then there's Auburn. And then there's Kentucky. And then there's Tennessee. I mean, Mizzou has a hellacious schedule. The SEC is just loaded again. Didn't
1: Tennessee wow. just beat the living daylights out of the Chicken Hawks in Lawrence? Well, not in Lawrence, they but of Lawrence.
4: <laughs> they did, Yes, yeah. They handed Kansas their first loss.
1: Yeah, they look pretty good. it's gonna to be tough. I mean, I, I like I, I watched a little of the Mizzou last week and I like the fact that they seem to have some shooters and there's some energy. But we've seen this from a Mizzou team early on before. The real test is gonna to start tomorrow night.
4: Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a great test. But I think the fact that these guys have been playing with each other, it's almost like it's like a practice game because they're playing such bad teams, and there is something to be said for developing a little bit of confidence when you're having all this success. Absolutely. Making that pass. I think Dennis Gates has done a nice job so far.
1: All right. How about the Blues? Uh, a little stumble, but back, back at it over the weekend, right?
4: Yeah, but an unbelievable game on Saturday. They're down 4-1 to one against Florida. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. They tied the game, and then they win it in overtime. Jordan Cairo, who a lot of people thought, why are you giving this guy $65 million to? You don't have to pay him for a while. Well, they decided to pay him, and maybe that ended to be a really good contract because he's been on fire. In the last two weeks, uh, he and Sid the Kid are the leading two scorers in the NHL. He's got 13 points, I think, in his last eight games. He's been just great. And tonight they're going to face a really good Dallas Stars team. But uh, that was a huge period because that would have been three losses in a row. Instead, it's a big victory against a good team. So a couple
1: of home games this week. I know I'm going to the game on Thursday, and then they uh, they hit the road this weekend, I think.
4: Yes, the Blues schedule is tonight against the Dallas Stars, Thursday, Carolina, then at Pittsburgh and at the Rangers.
1: All right, Frank, we will talk on Friday, hopefully a couple of more Blues, you know, wins notched by then. We might even have some baseball, more baseball to talk about on Friday as well.
4: Well, baseball winter meetings start on Sunday, so that's when things could get kicking for the Cardinals.
1: I'm looking forward to it. All right, Frank, appreciate it. Okay, but that's Frank you. Cusimano from Channel Five every Friday and Monday. I didn't want to bore him with this, but I kind of started telling you this during the break on the um, the trip out to Vegas last. Tuesday. I had never seen American Underdog, the Kurt Warner, the, Ra- the Rams I story. I haven't either. You know, I thought it was pretty good for what it was, a feel-good sports movie. There's a guy that's like listed that. as—this is kind of inside baseball, but there's a guy who's listed as a producer, I noticed. His name is Mark Ciardi. I got to know Mark um, years ago when I was in Milwaukee because he was in the Brewers system as a baseball player. I don't even know if he made it into the bigs, but he had a background in athletics. And he found a niche— in these feel-good sports movies, like he's the guy who produced the rookie. Dennis Quaid is in. Is, is Dennis in this Quaid movie. in this one? Yeah, he plays oh, I love Dick Dennis Quaid. He plays. Does Dick he Vermeer. really? Okay, he I might have to watch this. So I would say the, the it's it's a touchy-feely feel-good movie. A lot perfect of perfect for me. Right, a lot of attention on the love story between Kurt and Brenda. The only issue that I would have is that because uh, Zachary Quinto and Anna Paquin played Brenda Warner, they're playing you, you know college kids at first, although Brenda was you know older than. Kurt, yeah, was divorced. Yeah. But still, they didn't look like they were young. I guess you had to uh, suspend I a little see. disbelief with that. But as far as just a feel-good sports movie, and the way that they melded the football um, with some real clips of the Rams and, oh, that's, and what oh, they happened did that. here The Greatest Show on Turf, cool. that made it more authentic. So I thought it was a decent movie. If you're looking for something light, I would recommend it. I know it's been out for a while, but I would never caught it. So uh, it's you on YouTube. You can rent it there or on Amazon Prime. Yeah, check it out. Sue. All right. Well, a little controversy emerged in Vegas on game night, Thanksgiving night. And We'll tell the story after the top of the hour. We have some witnesses who oh. will also tell the story. Yeah, but I also have a deposition from one of the people that was in that room that might surprise these witnesses. It's coming up. Huh.
0: Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours